She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. And that was a really big moment for me, realizing that I was one serious emergency away from being completely broke. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. Today's guest isn't the first woman to move to New York City, fall in love with the nightlife, the restaurants and the excitement, and blow through her savings trying to keep up with the fast-paced city living. She'll pay for brunch with money that should have gone into her savings. And she has a full-time job, but she needs a side hustle to help fund her social life. This is her story. My name is Julia Sullivan. I am 29 years old. I live in New York City. I am an editor, a writer, and a part-time spin instructor. At 24, Julia was perfectly happy living in Arizona. She was making $60,000 a year as an editor at a marketing agency. The rent on her apartment was $700 a month, including utilities. And after paying her bills and her day-to-day expenses, she was able to put $500 a month in her savings account. She had a job that paid well, a serious boyfriend, and money in the bank. But when her boss asked her to relocate to New York City for a year, she couldn't say no to the opportunity. The thought of moving to New York, which I think is a very true for a lot of people that come across these types of opportunities, is you you just absolutely have to do it. You have to take that plunge. My then-boyfriend, we were on the fast track to getting engaged. He knew that this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and... I had to take this chance. So the deal was that I would move back at the end of the year, having this amazing 365-day experience in New York, and then, (laughs) in a way, getting that out of my system, getting the whole working girl New York thing out, and then coming back and and resuming what we considered life. So with her cat and $16,000 in savings, Julia said goodbye to the comfortable life that she knew and landed in an unfamiliar city where she had exactly zero friends. That city welcomed her with a quintessential New York real estate transaction. She handed several thousand dollars in cash to a shifty broker to secure an apartment. The first major financial assault that I had was putting down the money for my first apartment. So I think all being said and done, I I put in about $6,000 cash right up front. And that includes the broker's fee because, of course, being a new New Yorker, wide-eyed, I had a broker that definitely could sense that. So he asked for cash under the table. (laughs) And he asked for it in such a hurried way. I was like, this doesn't feel right. But at the same time, like, this is what New Yorkers do. They just, (laughs) they find an apartment and they go for it. They don't even consider that they might be doing something illegal. And he definitely was. Julia and her cat had an apartment. She had a job. Life seemed manageable. She knew before she got to New York that it would be expensive. So she'd asked her company for a significant raise, but they only gave her a small salary bump. 
not enough to cover the difference in her rent, which jumped by $1,000 from $700 a month to just over $1,700. And her New York apartment didn't include utilities. Her rent wasn't the only thing that was much, much more expensive. I noticed right away the cost of food was very, very high and the cost of drinks. It sent a shiver down my spine, I think, the first dinner out that we had. My share must have been over $150 for what seemed like just tapas and a couple glasses of wine. In Arizona, that price would have been under $50. It was insane. (laughs) Also insane, the size of apartments in New York City. A recent search on Craigslist showed seven studio apartments, all around 400 square feet, with rents up to $3,300. So what does that mean? The people who live in those ridiculously small apartments, often the newest New Yorkers, who are just so happy to be in the city, those people aren't entertaining at home. They make friends with other transplants or their co-workers over expensive drinks and even more expensive dinners, which is exactly what Julia did. My first group of friends were naturally my co-workers. And... You spend a lot of time talking at work, but to further that, the first instinct is always, well, let's go get drinks. And I think I would initiate those types of get-togethers more often than not because I didn't want to just go home at night and sit in my apartment and feel lonely, FaceTime my boyfriend. I continued to try to further the night by suggesting, oh, how about another round of drinks on me? And automatically, at least from my perspective, one, that means I have one more hour of, of feeling social. And then maybe they like me a little bit more. Maybe by offering these gestures, this means that they're going to want to go out with me again. And they did. We had lots and lots of fun Fun Tuesday night drinking sessions with my coworkers. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. After months of unrestrained fun nights out, Julia realized that her social life was killing her savings account. Initially, she had spent with abandon, thinking she'd return to her reasonably priced life in Arizona when the year she promised her company was up. But as the one-year mark approached, Julia also realised that she didn't want to leave New York, which had brought so many opportunities. She and her boyfriend had broken up and she was single in the city. She got a raise at work and published her first freelance article. She loved her new life and she didn't want to change any of it including her spending, which she knew was excessive. So Julia continued to splurge on drinks and dinners and trips to the beach. But when her cat got sick, the $3,000 vet bill was a wake-up call. I love my pet dearly. I would have paid three times that. But that could have been me. I could have had a single ambulance trip that would have been, say, $1,000 more than I would have paid for my cat's vet bill. And that was a really big moment for me, realizing that I was one serious emergency away from being completely broke. So Julia wrote a list of ways she could save money. 
She could skip the most expensive nights out. She could cook meals, which she used to do when she lived in Arizona, instead of ordering out. She could consider getting a new apartment with a roommate. Actually, let me think about this for a second. I don't think I would ever consider getting a roommate. I'm 29 years old, and I know it's common for people my age, but I had so many bad roommate experiences growing up that the thought of doing that at almost 30 years old truly terrifies me. She did start earning extra money with more freelance writing assignments and by becoming a part-time spin instructor. But she's getting fewer writing assignments lately, and an injury has sidelined her from spinning. She also hasn't been very successful at saving. When she comes home from work, she's never in the mood to cook when ordering takeaway is so much faster. And on nights she manages to pass on a concert with a $70 ticket, she'll stay at home and have dinner and a bottle of wine delivered, which winds up costing two-thirds as much as a concert ticket. To heat up another bowl of ramen or cook Campbell's soup just seems like the most depressing option. Julia also can't seem to quit her expensive workouts. She says that in addition to her $70 a month gym membership, She'll spend $100 a week on boutique rowing or spinning classes. I spend a lot of money on workout classes. Actually an obscene amount. And I always reason with myself when I make these types of purchases that I'm doing something good for my body and I'm making a healthy choice. And that also seems like a a better alternative than going out for drinks, that this is something I can do that's healthy. Because all of her friendships in New York were built on the foundation of big nights out, Julia's not sure how to engage those friends without the buffer of dinner and drinks or a concert. Without that buffer, I'm afraid that I might be seen as not someone worthwhile to hang out with. I always have this thought that... Everyone in New York has such a limited amount of time and energy, and that's true for everyone. So for me to suggest a meetup that costs absolutely nothing, that isn't cool or trendy or fun or delicious, feels as though I would get an automatic no, that just having a conversation with me wouldn't be enough. She seems so insecure about the status of her newish friendships that she's nervous to ask them to spend a low-key night in. Making friends has been difficult. I've been here about three and a half years, and I can still count all my friends on one hand. So I haven't really made an effort to suggest meeting up at the park just to talk but I'm afraid to. Julia knows she needs to curb her spending. She's hoping to figure out how to do that and how to go home at the end of the day without worrying about all the fun that's happening without her. I just need to understand how I can be fulfilled coming home at night, not getting drinks with someone, 
not ordering Seamless, and not drinking a bottle of wine. And just being okay and being content with that simplicity. When she was in her 20s, today's expert also struggled to pay rent and had to check her bank account before signing up for exercise classes. But she took control of her finances and in the 10 years since, she's become a nationally recognized financial expert. Hi, I'm Stephanie O'Connell. I'm the author of The Broke and Beautiful Life and I write about all things women, worth and money. Stephanie, Julia fell in love with New York City and she doesn't want to miss a second of the excitement or a single night out. It's easy to have that FOMO or fear of missing out when there's always a million things happening. What are we going to do with her? So I was looking through Julia's average monthly expenses and the thing that really stood out to me was her rent cost. It's over $1,700 without utilities. So that's a pretty enormous amount of her income. So I would say, and, and she talked about this a little bit, is thinking about getting a roommate. She does not want to live. So I think that for me stood out as well. She's not in the, she's not in the business for roommates. Can, do you think you can convince her otherwise? I hope so. I know uh, she's coming from Arizona, and a lot of this is about what our narratives are about what we think adulting looks like. There's plenty of people in their 30s and 40s in New they, York with roommates. Exactly. And I think, you know, when I tell people that in other places, they're like, what do you mean you have a roommate and you're 30 years old? I'm like, what do you think I mean? You know, <laughs> it saves me half of my housing costs that I can then spend to travel. So, yeah, is that trade off worth it to me? Absolutely. And I think that this is something for her to think about is what is a reduction in her housing costs going to afford her in, lifestyle. in her lifestyle? Right. Her rent could go down significantly and she'd get to split the Internet, Netflix and utility bills. So her monthly total expense might decrease by up to 30 percent. Plus, there's a chance her new roommates could become her new friends, the type she could enjoy a night in with. What else, Stephanie? I gotta start cooking. Yeah, right? You know, it, there is a happy medium, right? I understand if you're coming home from work at the end of the day, you're exhausted, you don't want to think about going to the grocery store, what you're going to cook. Can she try something like a meal delivery service where they give you all of the ingredients, they give you the recipe, they proportion everything out for you, and then she just follows the instructions 20 minutes later. She has And that's going to work out way better than takeaways every night? Exactly. And it's not that it's the most cost-effective thing, but it's something in between. There's usually, you know, she's existing on two ends of the spectrum here. Like, I either cook everything at home, like rice and beans, or I right. am going out or getting seamless every night. And there's something in between. And so can she find something that works for her there and make maybe cooking something she looks forward to? Mm -hmm. Can it be a social activity? Can it be something where she watches her favorite show while she cooks? She could order the meal kit and have a friend bring wine and they could make a night of it. I love it. So Julia only has a handful of friends in the city and those friendships revolve around going out and spending money. She's worried that those friends won't want to meet up with her for a walk in the park. Listen, a walk in the park can be boring, let's, let's be honest. So what can she suggest that's fun and cool and free? So one of the richest resources is your 
parks and recreation website, so the New York City Parks website, their event calendar is jam-packed with free yoga classes, free concerts, you know, free nature walks. Also, the library website. Love the library New website. New York Public Library, so right? Much. It's not just about the books. They have programming, classes, events every single day and in every location. So those there's infinite activities that you can be part of. Also, you know, surprising places like the Apple Store, you know, mm-hmm. they will have free programming or, you know, your local Lululemon might have like a free yoga class. You just have to be, you know, engaging with those places online, researching, Googling. I also, in New York specifically, love this website called theskint.com. Every day they send me a little newsletter of free and cheap activities happening love. around the city. And so theskint.com yeah there's just no shortage of of like free days at museums pay what you wish exhibitions so that in this city in particular there's no excuse more on she makes money moves right after this quick break i'm samantha barry welcome back to she makes money moves another moment that struck me in julia's story was when she said I was one serious emergency away from being completely broke. She's debt-free, which is great, but she doesn't have a 401k for retirement savings. She doesn't have a fallback fund. Can you explain to listeners what a fallback fund or an emergency fund is? An emergency fund is money you have set aside in a dedicated savings account specifically for emergencies. This can be around three to six months worth of living expenses. Uh, Start out with at least $1,000 in that account and make sure it's in a savings account. So that's something that's accessible when you need it. If you lose your job, if you need to get out of a bad relationship, if you have a medical incident and any other unforeseen emergency. It's so important, but lots of 20-somethings aren't actively planning for the future. How can we get Julia there? It's really tough to think long-term when you've been scraping by in short-term mode for so long. And I think that's the trap that we need to really break free of. Even if we are living paycheck to paycheck, even if we are paying down debt, simply getting into the habit of saving money and investing, even if it's as little as $5 a month, is so important because it builds that skill set of long-term thinking. She needs to start thinking about what her goals might be in 10 years' time when she's 39. What does she have to do right now to get there? She probably has an idea of what she might want her life to look like. It might be a house. It might be having a kid. And then start breaking down whatever is in that future that she has hopes for and start putting a price tag on that future here's how much I actually need to afford all of these goals. And if I'm going to actually make that happen and not settle for anything less, I need to get started today. And that'll bring urgency to the longer term thinking. And it's also so important that she make those things really personal and really connected to her value system rather than what she thinks she should be doing. Because I think that's one of the reasons where it's really easy to defer some of these action steps Mm -hmm. because somebody said that I should own a home, but I maybe don't really care about owning a home. But I'm guessing there's probably something else in her future that she does need to be saving for. And I also recommend making them visual. If I have a picture of, you know, that tr- that trip I want to take next year in my wallet wrapped around my cash and my credit cards, every time I go to pull out that cash or that credit card, I am looking at that picture of what it is I want for my future. And then I can make an assessment of, is this short-term trade-off worthwhile or is it not? 
Lots of people are careless with money in their 20s. I know I was. Retirement is decades off and spending $100 at happy hour tonight probably feels more worthwhile than putting it into an account that you can't touch for 40 years. But waiting to invest until your 30s could literally cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Check the article in the show notes for the math. Retirement aside, if you're having dinner delivered every night, you're not saving for your immediate future either. To change your spending habits, start thinking about what you'd like to save for. And, like Stephanie said, put a price tag on it. Maybe write down your goal on a post-it and stick it to your mirror. Having that constant reminder might make you think twice before spending carelessly. Do you want Thai takeaway for dinner tonight or a trip to Thailand in a year? I know what I'd choose. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit Glamour.com slash money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at Glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman, with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast, and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Stephanie O'Connell and our guest Julia for sharing her story. <laughs> 